Ogilvy survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Badley has waited. Curry Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last. Greg Norman. Jones gets his name on the Stonehaven Cup. Leash been to 11 under. Now we've got a new leader, kids. Here is Adam Scott, a life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. G'day everybody, welcome to episode 10 of Inside the Ropes. Great to have you with us. On a week where we're going to spend a fair bit of time uh, reminiscing on what happened at Royal Birkdale, a lot to pull apart from all of that. Jeff Shackelford, uh, noted golf blogger, golf writer, golf commentator, not too far away from joining us to participate in all that. We're going to hear from Carl Phillips, one of these young wunderkins uh, out there who at 15 years of age is taking the game by storm. Brett G, he's better known for his cricket exploits, is going to drop by for a chat as well. There's a lot to get through. Mark Hayes is here again. Uh, hello to you, Hazy. Uh, guten Tag. I was so <laughs> impressed by your German there. That was outstanding <laughs> Deutsch. <laughs> there I go, Clay. Hello, Michael. You spent more time in Germany than uh, Hazy yeah. and I have. Did yeah. I punch it out? Okay. Yeah, not bad, not bad. It's a sad note that we start the show, and I know you've been um, deep into this for the last 48 hours, Hazy, the news that broke a couple of days ago, well, yesterday, really. Hmm. Um, it's Thursday morning as we sit to record the podcast about Jared Lyle, this is heartbreaking. Yeah, it sort of transcends a bit of what's gone on the last 48 hours. Uh, we're recording this in uh, the Carlton area of Melbourne, and as we look out, we can actually see the Peter McCallum Institute of the Royal Melbourne Hospital, and unfortunately, Jared's not too far from that ward. Um, his third shot at leukaemia. He's beaten it, in inverted commas, twice. Uh, it's back. Uh, it's the same thing. It's acute myeloid leukemia. And I apologize to the listeners if my voice hasn't got its normal sort of bounce, but it's, I, I'm pretty rocked by it. And, yeah. I, and having spent a bit of time with his family in the last 48 hours, I can I can tell you it's a pretty traumatic time. And uh, more so now for them with two young girls. Um, and there's been an outpouring of support. Uh, let's just hope that he can ride that wave and get through it one more time. I don't know what to say to about it, to be honest with you. Last time... We thought it, it was. We we all hoped and thought that he, having beaten it the second time, yeah. that, that he wasn't going to have to be forced to fight this fight anymore. So when he was a seventeen-year-old boy, he was literally on the verge of making his senior pennant debut at Commonwealth, uh, and that Saturday and on the Friday or Thursday, he got the hook and was straight into the hospital, and that's where we sort of came to know him from the time he spent with Robert Allenby uh, in recuperation there. Um, then we. He was just making his way to become a legitimate force on the PGA Tour. He'd come through the whole rehab and build up his career. Uh, we all saw the hole-in-one he had at uh, at Phoenix. And, you know, I think he was becoming a legitimate player. He banked a lot of big checks in consecutive weeks and got his hideous knock in 2012. Um, I don't think people realise how close he came in 2012 to in, to not being here. It's a, it's a horrendous process. Basically, you, he's reborn. He needs a total transfusion of blood and bone marrow, and he goes back to having no immunity whatsoever. So it's as like he's born all over again. And he's uh, he's got the date tattooed on his arm of the second time that it happened because basically that's his rebirth date. Uh, and, yeah, the poor bugger, he's going to have to front up and go through it all again. Um, he doesn't ask for... 
anything from anyone, but I know he appreciates all the support and he's just such a gregarious character. Um, it's it's gut-wrenching to see someone who deserves... I don't know if anyone who deserves this less than Jared Lyle, yeah, and he's had it three times. It's extraordinary. Yeah, it kind of ruined his career, that second lot. He just yeah. finished third or fourth, I think, in LA, at Riviera. Yep. And he just needed to play right, out the yeah. rest of the year, and he was... For the first time, he was going to make the top 125 and he had a, you know, a legitimate shot at a long career. And but he was starting. That was to, the end of that, really. It was the end of his playing. Yeah. Really. But he was starting to feel at home. Yeah. But he's always been a very, you know, big talent. And, you know, he's, he'd be the first to tell you he's not the fitness specimen that he, you know, could, should be. But from his time at junior time at Shepherd and right, right through, he, he had a lot of talent. And I think he was just harnessing it and feeling confident within himself. Uh, as Clay's just saying, you know, he had that finish at Riviera and, you know, he was just starting to make some, bank some big checks consecutively. Um, so we'll never know what that was about, but there's bigger fish to fry right now. He's just got to live. Um, so he's going to start the process. He started it yesterday. As soon as he was diagnosed chemotherapy, he's already into it on Wednesday. Um, basically, they'll bring him down and hopefully get the transplant at some point in the near to medium term future. Well, it goes without saying that everybody who's got anything to do with this little podcast sends their love and support to him and the family and every possible best wish you can muster uh, goes to you, Jared Lyle. If you happen to be listening, um, you know, we're in your corner, everybody involved in golf in this country. And one of the great things about social media at a time like this, Mm. the news um, reaches everybody so quickly and you get a great reflection of the... The impact that he a man like Jared Lyles made around the place, the the feedback comes back immediately from just about every corner of planet Earth. When we put out the press release yesterday, Andy, just on behalf of the family, um, within minutes it was on the US PGA Tour website, and within minutes of that, there's players reaching out to him. Um, it's phenomenal, uh, and the support he has from all corners of the globe is extraordinary, and yeah, I know that uh, sometimes it's hard work to even broach it with him, but if you reckon if you tweeted him in, he'll definitely read it. He's that sort of bloke. Mm. Um, it's always hard to – obviously, you have to do that at the start of something like this, and it makes it all, all the more difficult to move on because everything seems so trivial thereafter. But there is a lot to talk about in the world of golf. That's the terribly sad news, and hopefully it's got a silver line at the end of it and the big fella comes through. But there was some other pretty big news about uh, about an hour ago as we sit here regarding the PGA Championship of Australia. Yeah, some, this is genuinely fantastic news. The Australian PGA uh, should be wholly and solely congratulated for this. They've lured the Masters champion, Sergio Garcia, up to the Australian PGA Championship at Royal Pines in late November, early December. So that's back-to-back weeks we're going to have the now Open Championship winner in, at uh, the Australian and the Masters champion on the Gold Coast in uh, in early December, late November, Huge for Australian golf and full credit to the PGA for luring someone who's at the top of their game in terms of, or A, he's playing really well, Sergio, but B, momentum and in, in garnishing media and, and worldwide interest. It's going to be a great week. Have you have you seen enough of him, Clates, to um, get a read on how his demeanour on course has changed since what happened to him at Augusta? No. No? No. Is he still the same? Yeah, it always looked the same to me. Yeah, yeah. I played with him when he was an amateur, Spanish Open. He was a kid. I'd never thought he was very good. but <laughs> And he didn't look very good, and he was 16, and he was running about 10th after two days. So, so he was clearly really good. Yeah. You know, his swing always looked funky, and but I think the more you've watched him play, he's refined it a bit, and you realize how good his swing is. And he was always a, you know, I mean, Ogilvy thinks he's the best 
ball striker on the tour. Well, certainly the most versatile shot maker. So, brilliant player. I mean, burdened probably with high yeah, expectations yeah. and, you know, like he and Mickelson and Ernie, the three of them conspicuously ran into Tiger at his best and he he took a lot from what their careers could have been by winning so much and being so hard to beat. What about being the next off the kind of Spanish production line too after Seve had done what he'd done? Was there an element of a burden, you say the burden to carry, but was that a bit of it that, you know, Spain had produced... Also a Spanish thing. I think it was just, it was just he had that amazing PGA Championship in '99 against Tiger, where he hit the shot from up against a tree yeah, at Medina, yeah. and he was a 19 year old kid who was going to be the you know Tiger's great rival, and it just it never happened really. Mm-hmm. And he only would moan and complain about things that happened to him, and you know act yeah. like a petulant child. And there was a there was a classic YouTube video of him hurling a shoe against a board at Wentworth, and. <laughs> yeah, he, he could carry on a bit, and he was he was certainly petulant at times, but terrific player. Kind of moaned and bitched about his his fortune. When imagine being get, petulant, letting the emotions yeah. get the better of you on a golf yeah, course. Golf course knew, imagine being that sort of bloke. Yeah, never imagine trying to make me. a professional yeah. career yeah. out of that sort of with that sort of behaviour, <laughs> dogging you at every turn. And then you, know, you used to kill a few snakes on the way through. I was you terrible. Were terrible. I was terrible. You good. Yeah. I was shocking. That's why you're a firebrand. Yeah, shocking. We love that about you. Yeah, shocking. Jeff Shackle was about to. Do and, and he and Tiger fell out, and you know Tiger kind of. When remember Sergio got dressed up in the yellow clothes at Hoylake, and <laughs> Tiger apparently tweeted to a friend at the end of that day. He said, "I pummeled Tweety Bird today." <laughs> <laughs> That's gold. Yeah. There should be more of it, Hazy. That's yeah, there is. Well, he's a character, yeah. and you know he's had his moments, but you know since he's won the Masters, he's been you know up and about and taking the green jacket. Everywhere, yeah. and for the what are we now? The fourth year now since Scotty won his Masters, we're going to have the green jacket back yeah, at no, Royal Pines. It's yeah. going to be awesome. Hey, uh, just a note before we do get to um, Jeff Shackleford in the open conversation, there's a lot to talk about. Uh, for our avid listeners, uh, you may have remembered that we didn't quite know what uh, this would become after week one, and in all honesty, inside the ropes as a pilot for 10 episodes back then. Thanks to the wonderful response we've had from you lot out there and the support of many people, including everyone here at RSN 927. We are absolutely thrilled, Hazy and Clates, to announce that Inside the Ropes will be continuing right through until mid-December with weekly episodes bringing you unrestricted access to golf in Australia and around the globe, which is fantastic news for um, us here who enjoy getting together and doing this on a weekly basis. Don't forget, if you are have been listening and you might be potentially a little bit new to this, uh, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes or Android for Android users. Uh, download a podcast through Google Play. Get the show delivered to your device every single Thursday. It is time to talk the Open Championship from Royal Birkdale. It would have been great just doing it with you two, but it's going to be even better to do it with Jeff Shackelford, who is one of the great um, writers, thinkers, bloggers, conversationalists uh, regarding the game of golf. Who was He was there uh, every step of the way watching Jordan Spieth do what he did remarkably, and I wonder whether Jeff, uh, like anybody else in the world, can quite make sense of what he's seen uh, as the dust settles on the 146 play of the Open Championship. Jeff Shackelford, thanks, thanks for joining us on Inside the Ropes. Oh, my pleasure. Great to be here. You've got Andy Ma here, you've got Mark Hayes over there, and you've got Mike Clayton over in the other corner, so I'm sure that'll be a voice you know. To, we'll, we'll go to... We'll get, exactly. We'll go to you first, and then you two chime in, and let's have a conversation about this. Um, he falls apart. Jordan Spieth falls apart twice in the final round. He has the horrible start to his round. 
He's a couple over through 9 and 13. Then he has the debacle on 13. Jeff, how does he manage to do what he does thereafter? Uh, He's very special. Uh, It was really, I think it was, in hindsight, uh, a great thing that happened because he had to take control of this bizarre situation, and he did. He was having a little bit of trouble with, uh, uh, I think, with the officials trying to understand what to deal with, the walking officials. Uh, and it was just a mess. And that got his mind off of, uh, I think, where the round was going. And he talked about this uh, after the round that, uh, well, and actually, you know, and many other times that uh, this was an important day and the Masters was there and it's lingering in his mind uh, the last few years. Uh, not so great in the final round. And I believe that having to deal with this, this uh insane situation kind of allowed him to forget about all that and and kind of become uh who he is jordan speed and he and he dealt with the situation he kind of outsmarted or used the rules to his advantage uh and then got up there and made a huge par putt and it just some players that would have worn them out and for him it was a total turnaround for the for the day does that make sense to you Clay, for a man who's played you know at the the elite level professionally does that the way Jeff's kind of explained the fact that there was a little kind of unexpected, unanticipated mid-round time out for him. Does that kind of make sense to you? Yeah, not much of what happened <laughs> so made no, sense. Really... I mean, he was so bad the first nine, really, just making schoolboy mistakes, really. Bad drive at the first, three part of the third, three part of the fourth, three part of the ninth from nowhere. He had a terrible shot into the 11th hole. And he was just, it was just a 75 round all day, really. And then he hit that drive, which you know, they talk about Seve's drive into the car park at Lytham. Well, this thing was right of right of that. And then he played arguably the greatest five holes ever in a major championship. I mean, how do you do that? I don't know how you do that. I mean, for Kucha to be one ahead and go par birdie, par birdie and be two behind was just <laughs> staggering. It's still hard to comprehend that. <laughs> No sense, Jeff, we what was your what was your take on it? When did it become obvious to you that there was something special going on? Was it the the tee shot on fourteen? Was it the eagle putt on fifteen? Where where did you think? Oh my god, this is unbelievable! Uh, well, when he walked off the green on thirteen, uh, I had gone over to the side, uh, we'll call it, to the driving range and seen that shot. And then when he was coming off the green, when he turned to Michael Greller to hand him the putter, he just ever so briefly flashed this little grin. Uh, and and, and it, was, it was very clear that he knew he had just gotten away with murder out there. <laughs> and so then when he stuck it on 14, it was like, oh, boy, this is, this is incredible. This is a total turnaround he's, he's headed for. Now, what he ended up doing, nobody saw that coming. But that shot on 14 was really impressive. It's a very hard hole to hit it close on. It's just kind of this downhill par three with a big green and I hadn't seen a lot of good shots there all week and to, to almost make it was just incredible and uh, it had to be such a lift for him and that's just how it, he's just one of those special players that um, can can take a situation we saw this a lot with Tiger we've seen it with Bill Mickelson and recent years and and through history that uh, instead of it wearing him down he, he fed off Jeff, sometimes when the players talk about we this and we that, when clearly it's an individual game in a lot of respect, he talks about Michael Greller uh, 
in a in a really uh, respectful sense and, and a complete adoration in some senses. Is is this the the true team? When they say we here, is he the team? Uh, yeah. Well, there are other people involved too. I think Cameron McCormick is really doesn't quite get the credit he deserves, and that was really a big uh, change for him last week. I don't know how how much you guys picked up on this, but uh, or maybe discussed it, but he. Uh, had the track man out before every round. And uh, this has just been an interesting shift I've seen this year more than ever. Instructors are now staying around for the entire tournament. They're there on the range when the when the players are warming up. They're involved in the pep talks. And then this is the first time Jordan in competitive golf has has checked numbers uh, on the track man before the round. And and uh, that, that was something that, that uh, Cameron suggested dealing with just the, the different air and the, and, the, and the way the ball flies over there. And uh, so there are many people involved in this, but uh, I think that that's something he does is just uh, to, to, to make it feel like uh, in his mind, this is a group effort. And it got a little weird, as you may recall last year when, when he, uh, he got a little cranky with, with Greller and, and uh, it was a little reminiscent of the, uh, the old Herman Mitchell, the Trevino thing, you know, and it, uh, uh, Trevino griped that that uh, when it was when it was a 67, we shot 67. When it was a 77, yeah, Herman would go. He shot 77, and and so uh, they've gone through a fair uh, there some up and downs uh, moments. But I mean, he's only been out here for a few years, so uh, and they'll have more of them, I'm sure. From that chest bump at the Travelers through to you know the rave reviews they've got for each other out of Birkdale, it's been a pretty amazing little ride, hasn't it? Uh, very incredible ride, and uh, Jordan has put, you know, he puts so much pressure on himself. I, I know Clayton probably wonders about this, and I think a lot of people do. He, he, not only does he put the pressure on himself, but he expends so much energy. Michael Greller expends so much energy. You know, he goes out and uh, watches uh, or scouts out hole locations. He walks the course. He, I mean, they were there at the golf course five hours before the round on Sunday. I saw Greller. Uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's an interesting way they approach things. It's, it's fascinating for me as a writer to watch it and to, to see what things they analyze. But of course, you also do wonder how sustainable it is. The amount of energy and the amount of work they put into it is, uh, it's, it's fantastic, but, uh, it also is going to, uh, be interesting to see how he, he's able to pace himself. And that was the thing I saw earlier in the week at, at Burkdale that I really liked when he started uh, chewing the gum and the way he played early in the week looked to me like he was uh, pacing himself a lot better, and I think that's important going forward for, for, both, for both Jordan and Michael Crelly. <laughs> so before we sort of pull apart what actually happened on 13 um, in terms of the way the ruling was uh, enacted, how, probably you first, Clates, on this one. Mm. Like Bones has said, Greatest yardage ever given to a player by a caddy, <laughs> yeah. like you know, which yeah. it's, high, it's over the top probably. But how significant was the fact that because yeah, I don't reckon Spieth hit a great shot when he actually got over the ball, but um, how important was it that at least the number or was that was that interaction between the caddy and the yeah. player? I mean, you can guess at two forty at that distance, it's not making that much difference. I mean, the lines are more important than the than the yardage. I mean, Hank Haney was on something this morning talking about the greatest yardage ever. Unquestionably, Steve Williams at Torrey Pines when 
he deliberately gave Tiger the wrong yardage to make him hit the shot that he wouldn't have hit if he had the right yardage. (laughs) So at the last hole, the right number, Steve knew Tiger would hit a 56-degree wedge, which Steve thought would jump and go to the back of the green, leaving a 50-foot putt. So he deliberately gave him the wrong yardage. So he would hit a 60-degree wedge, which he didn't. He won the tournament. So that's the greatest yardage ever given because it was to deliberately give a guy, Tiger Woods, the wrong yardage on the last hole of the US Open. It's like, Grella's yardage was okay, fine. It was a nice guess, but don't put it in the greatest yardage of all time category. <laughs> Not even close. What do you think, Jeff? Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I was actually there when they were discussing the yardage, and I thought I heard 130, I, I, and then he you know, described it after the round, and it was 230. But uh, he was. they were just trying to figure out a ballpark number, and when they did that, that allowed Jordan to have some – confidence that he could reach the green but beyond that that was it was a, a very vague number it was very confusing I mean where we were standing it was hard to believe it, 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 Jordan certainly was right to, to sense that it seemed like 280 yards from the green or whatever the number was he thought but uh, yeah I would I would agree with Clayton's uh, that, that there have been better yardages uh, and really it was uh, uh, you know it was it was uh, such an odd situation I wouldn't expect Michael Crowley to know the yardage over there so, so correct me if I'm wrong, any of you guys, how does he do it? He, he doesn't look like he's a rock-solid cast-iron driver of the ball. He, he, he's prone to hit it off the fairway, right? Well, he hit he hit two fairways. ten fairways the first he, two days. He doesn't hit a lot. He, he can't, yeah. So, so I, I don't know what he did the third day, but the first 36 holes he hit ten fairways, and the last day he hit two fairways. Mm. So in three rounds he's hit ten fairways. So, so that's that's an Achilles heel. It should well, it should be, and, maybe not not as much and it's anymore. Also, yeah. I, Jeff was there. I don't know. Jeff was it? I mean, the first fairway looked completely ridiculous. How, how difficult that thing was to hit. Yeah, twenty yards wide, hitting across it, and it's bouncy. So I, I don't know what the figures were, but my guess would be twenty percent of players hit that fairway. So one, he's not hitting many fairways, and two, was the golf course set up or, or were the mowing lines so bad? That and the course so narrow that it, it was impossible to hit fairways, so there wasn't much point trying. Uh, no, I would say that that was one of the worst fairways, the, the, the first, but most of them were reasonable width and they don't have a lot of movement to them. So, no, he, he, was, he wasn't driving the ball that well, but, the, but I, in the, in the time I watched, and there were also a few drives where there were certain holes where the rough was very mild on one side and, and, and he was missing in the right spots. And I think to, to your, to, to your question that, that that's one of the things he just does so well. He, he, he knows how to, to kind of get himself around a course and miss it in the right places. And, and right there, he, he just saves himself so many shots by uh, thinking through the best places to be. And that was also the case with Matt Kuchar. Although he was striking the ball beautifully, he clearly had a very uh, 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 strategy in mind that was to be short uh, in his approach shot. So if he he was between clubs, he'd take the lesser club. Because I I watched more of him than any player last week, and he was always just off the front of the green, uh, it seemed like, all week, and then lagging right up. And and I think he had determined that that was the best way to, to get around there safely. So they were both players who... Uh, kind of guided themselves around, maybe not strategically in the sense that Clayton and I would love to see a player do so because, of course, uh, is, is not as strategic as the old course. But they they know how to think their way around to to st- 
stay out of, uh, of big trouble, which is why the situation on 13 was was so fascinating on Sunday because for once, Spieth had really put himself in a bad spot. Which we will get to. But just the second part of it, and you guys just – he, he, we spoke about this on an earlier podcast, Jeff. That for a, for a great player, he, to my eye, and I think we all sort of half agreed on this at the time, he hits more really bad shots or as many really bad shots from a great player's perspective than a lot of other great players hit. He, he, I mean, he, go back to Augusta and the and the dunk chip. I mean, he hits he when he hits a bad shot, he hits a lot of like really bad shots. The drive on thirteen. So discuss that if you will, and and. When you guys think of great putters, he's a great clutch putter. Like, there's no doubt about that. He makes a lot of big putts. But when you think of him over kind of three to six footers, do you automatically think that he's a great short putter? Uh, I'm pretty confident watching him putt. I mean, he, he, but then again, I was uh, Jaime Diaz and I were standing behind the 13th tee on, on uh, there on Sunday, and we and we both laughed. Uh, we were walking off the tee, and and, and uh, we had the same thought that oh, his routine looked great. He looked great, and I thought he was going to just stripe it. So he's he, you know, he just looks good over the ball. He he goes through his routines meticulously, and so he can fool you. He just same with his putts. He just he he, he gets those hands set, and he does his little forward press, and and um, so I am always impressed when you see a player that that repeats so beautifully like that. But yeah, he just throws in some. Those are some strange ones. I, I was staggered when he rolled in the putt so beautifully. I know it's the simplest putt of all the ones he made in the last hour and a half, but the, the putt he did on 17, Jeff, like he, he had to make that putt to kill off Kucha, and it was dead center. He walked and picked it up. Uh. Um, I'm not sure if you saw the final putt to win the playoff in the Australian Open last year, but he actually told me afterwards, he said, I read it and I thought, if I hit this left, it's going to break right. If I hit this right, it's going to break left. It's I can't miss this part. I, I can't miss it. It's in a funnel. And I really think he gets into that mindset. Is was is that the sort of thing when he's under the gun, he might be the best putter? Well, he may focus differently, yeah. And he, he certainly is showing a, uh, a tendency like Tiger to uh, take the putting game, game up a notch uh, under pressure. So... But I, I think he really has kind of struggled earlier this year on putting at any point in the in the, uh, the round. And so it started to kind of come around, and, and then at the Travelers, really, that was when he had finally a, a good putting week again. And, and then he just kind of kept it going, and, and the greens were beautiful there at Birkdale, and he got there early and really got to know them well, as did Kuchar in, uh, in, in his play. I mean, he putted unbelievably, too. And... Uh, so it's just uh, it was fun to watch that because they uh, they, they just seem to have such a, uh, a a mastery of those greens, which are they're kind of unusual greens. This place might be able to tell you they're they're, um, they're they don't feel like the normal links greens. No. So was getting there early. You having a shot at his decision to play the John Deere when he had a chance to win the Grand Slam. I know you were critical of that. Do you think he? Um, not took notice of you, but do you think he took notice of what happened at St Andrews and decided not to play the week before? I do, I do. You know, back to that uh, pacing themselves and the energy concept. I don't know if you remember, but uh, on that Sunday at the old course, both he and Greller were so physically exhausted and they looked so tired. And I'm, I'm sure he will. One, he realized had he 
uh, gotten there earlier, he probably would have won that tournament the way he was playing. And I think he also just realized that if he's serious about majors, it's absurd to think that uh, you can just fly in on Monday afternoon at any golf course and succeed. And I think that's he will not be playing the John Deere ever again. <laughs> Colin Montgomery's career, one of the great failings of, not that he was a terrific player, but Monty would play in Europe for 100,000 pounds or whatever the week before a major and turn up and, you know, congressional. He played in Germany, I think, the week before congressional when he was playing unbelievable golf. And lost the tournament by a shot. And like, Monty, what are you doing? I mean, you don't need 100,000 pounds that badly. And he did it all the time. And it's like, what are you doing? Jeff Lett, I mean, we're all... And there's such... It's such a high-energy thing now, these these weeks. You know, there's just... And Jordan even puts so much into his press conferences. You know, he he gives so much into every answer. And he said it in, in, I believe it was Saturday's press conference, that he just was really trying to... Uh, put his feet up on the couch and and just really pace himself. And it, and I think it showed. And I think it paid off for him. Jeff, we're all full of praise for Jordan. Uh, I'll play the. I'll put the black hat on here for a minute. He's played the thirteenth hole in twenty nine minutes. Twenty minutes between the, sh- the second and third strokes of Matt Kuchar. Has he stitched him up there? Well, it, it was not intentional, and I I've written a couple of different pieces about this i wrote one for golf week uh, immediately after and then i got a lot of email in the last few days about people being very upset about this and um I, he did not in any way try to drag this out it, it was a complicated situation in fact my sense was when he hit the shot when he finally did hit a shot he rushed it and uh, because he was feeling bad about how long this took um so I was over there. I could not see Kucher and his body language and how he reacted to this and if this was something that was uh, bothersome for him. Obviously, it would be just to stand around that long and after hitting a nice second shot, too. Um, but it was just a mess of a situation, and the rules officials struggled a little bit with it at the, uh, the beginning. And and then when John Fairmore came in, that, that kind of helped speed things up finally at the end. And uh, but it was chaotic. There were people in in the first area that he wanted to look at for a drop, and then once they got those people moved, uh, he realized that wasn't uh, an acceptable spot. And so it was just everything that could go wrong in terms of uh, time went wrong. And uh, I really believe he did the best he could to make it go quickly. Were you? Kites, are you happy with the way it kind of resolved itself? Yeah, it didn't look like it was a. The only thing I thought was interesting was. They have the rules officials walking around with these groups. And when I was a player, you would always have these guys who know the rule book backwards. But when they get in a practice situation like that, they actually don't know how to administer it. And I'm not sure if that's a fair comment to the guy who was doing it. But as soon as Paramore walks in, you know it's going to be fine. And Paramore took control and sorted it out. and So, so you knew that was never a problem. But you know, the, the world is full of rules officials who turn up when they get under pressure on the 13th hole at the Open Championship, and they've got to make a decision, they actually can't do it. But well, as soon as Paramore turns up, no problem's done. So, so to you three guys, how many other players, how many other players that you know of, if you had been in Matt Kuchar's shoes at, at that precise time, would have lost their head? They would have been bitching to the no, rule. They, no, they I, would have been I, okay with no, it. No, I thought it would have been fine with it. Yeah, okay, I mean, yeah. And you can't say it affected Kuchar. He played the next four holes 200 par. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it clearly didn't affect yeah. his play. You know, if he double bogey the next hole, okay, but 
Yeah, I mean, he certainly wasn't affected by it. And, and and players, if you're a pro, you just have to deal with that stuff. I mean, that stuff goes on all the time. You just have to put up with it. That's part of the job is dealing with crazy stuff like that. I mean, you know, in 77, Nicholas and Watson refused to play because of the crowds on the fairway. They couldn't get the yardage. So they, they went and sat down and said, get this sorted out. We're not going to play. So, you know, it's there have been plenty of interruptions to play and difficult situations and so, I, you know, and clearly, as I said, it didn't affect Cooch's play no, at all. No, it didn't. No. Jeff, you mentioned earlier on that Jordan, in I think you said, took advantage of the rules. Did he take the first drop in the trucks in the right spot, in your opinion, or was the line potentially a little bit sort of generous? No, he did. He he did exactly what he could do under the rules of golf, which was uh, take an unplayable lie, and the, and the lie I, I got to look right at it. It was it was playable. Uh, um, but he very he could have made eight if he tried to hit it out. I mean, there were little firm growths and it was brutal. So he uh, he had the right to keep uh, his ball in line with the hole and go back as far as he wanted. That that was the first issue where the officials were uh, pretty good about that uh, and trying to figure that out. So he did that and he went right back and it was put him right smack in the middle of the. Uh, the, the tour vans, which I think was in, uh, in, in his mind the, the way to get a uh, another drop into a spot where there was a uh, better lie, and um, and so good for him for doing that. I don't know why the trucks were still there; they hadn't been used for a few days, but I guess they just couldn't get out of the range uh, where the range was situated. So, uh, and then the range is not marked as out of bounds, which bothered a lot of people. But I think if you've seen the place, you just know it's so far right that they wouldn't really have thought that it would ever be uh, an issue that uh, somebody would hit a ball and hit somebody on the, the head on the top of a dune. And then, yeah, you just couldn't, you just couldn't picture this scenario taking place. Uh, everything about it was remarkable and people will be writing PhDs about uh, that final, <laughs> the final three hours of that, that tournament. I mean, it was just so, it was so, yeah. you just can't scoop that stuff. Yeah. What did you make of Rory during the week? He just looked like he threw shots away forever and, should have won it. Surely should have well, won it. He should have won it. Well, until the crazy finish. I mean, it wasn't unforeseeable that Lee Tong could have won. I mean, those guys had one bogey each to play with on the 10th tee. He was plus, he was plus five through his first six holes, Rory. Yeah. And he goes 10 under for the rest yeah, of the yeah, tournament. Lost the ball at 15. And Anyway, Jeff, you, 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 I assume saw Rory play a bit. What did you make of his form? Well, his form is, I, uh, I, you know, I watched him at the Scottish and I didn't think it was that bad and he missed the cut. And, and uh, this was a great course for him plates. Not a lot of uh, yeah, perfect. intricate yeah. strategy. It was pretty right soft. The, yeah. uh, essentially aerial attack golf into all the greens. Really not a lot of bump and run shots. You know, it, it's the least lengthy of all the, uh, the uh, rota courses. And then you, you just watch him play and uh, he plays quickly. Probably too fast in my view. Uh, watching Spieth and Kucher, uh, I don't, I don't think they're fast, but I don't find them slow. But they're just, uh, you just sense they're taking in a few more details, and there's just a little bit of more calmness and and, and consistency in the execution. And and you just don't get that sense around Rory that there's that. Um, there's just something a little bit off, and that may be rustiness. Or it just may be the way he goes about and prepares, and I don't I don't know what that is, but he definitely has um, most of the parts of his game working, and he should probably get it in gear here. But 
I, I mean, we're gonna, we've been saying this for a little while now, and it's starting to feel to me like he just is never going to be able to get out of his own way, whether it's changing equipment in the middle of the year when he really didn't need to do that. He just, I think, got a more, got a lucrative offer that helped Taylor made finish off a sale. Um, and it's just little, it's, well, it's not little stuff. That's a big thing. But, but there are a lot of little things, a lot of details where you sense that speed. Uh, has all that under control or the people around him better help him with that. And you don't sense that with Rory. Yeah, you kind of, this might be wrong, but you kind of assume that when Jordan Spieth finishes his career, it's going to be with a tightless ball and a tightless set of irons and a tightless golf bag. <laughs> and Rory, who knows? I mean, he could finish with Daiwa. Or... Some Clayton's. <laughs> yeah, well, well, if yeah. Nike want to yeah. keep putting him in the shirt that he wore on Sunday, he should go and get a deal somewhere else because that, <laughs> that was the worst shirt. Well, what about that Stenson's? Was w- about Stenson's no, no, sorry. Yeah, you're right. Stenson's were the worst shirt. <laughs> McElroy's was the second yeah, worst shirt. Worst. Yeah. Terrible. Well, but what about Jason Day on the first day? Oh, yeah. With the shoes yeah, and the wraparound tracksuit pants. Oh, good. Seriously? Oh, good. <laughs> Looked like he'd just gone and played some pickup, Shaq. Yeah. So, you're talking about Michael Grella with, um, with Jordan Spieth. There was the moment, you know, after whatever it was, five or six holes, whenever it was, when JP pulls Rory aside and gives him the... The double barrels. Um, how see, is is history going to make more out of that than than actually it it was at the time? I don't know. I think that's kind of one of those uh, moments that Rory probably needs to to pay attention to, and I think it speaks a little bit to what we're talking about that that there is uh, uh, you know that his caddy at some point has to do that in the middle of the round when I don't think he really wants to. Although then you hear some of the pep talks Grella gives. Fascinating. I don't know what you think, Clayton, but it's, it's fascinating to hear. <coughs> excuse me, what these guys are willing to say to their players during the round, um, and maybe that's normal. But I'm kind of uh, shocked, frankly, at some of it, the, yeah. the how serious it gets. But I, I don't, I'm not one of those who likes to blame his caddy for, for Rory's issues. I feel like he's he's smart enough and talented enough that that these uh, these little weird hiccups and weird decisions. Uh, really are, are not the fall of his caddy, but of himself. I always loved that Angelo used to carry for Jack Nicholas. said was apparently somewhere that Jack had told him, if everything starts going badly, just remind me that I'm the best player here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which was a pretty fair comment. <laughs> Jeff, I, just, I want you to know that I've been urging Clates here in the studio to work on his posture throughout this entire <laughs> podcast. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, uh, I'd, I, we could talk forever yeah, yeah, about yeah, the yeah. Open and we, we shouldn't take up too much more of your time but I hear you talking to Clates here and for our audience who may or may not have heard too much you do a lot of stuff your own podcasts your own website the Shack, Shack House Shack House is great Shack House podcast yeah. is awesome and I know it's got a huge audience in Australia too so congratulations on that We're to, hear you talk, to hear you talk about uh, you know techniques for different players at different venues and You've got a passion for architecture and, and, and all that sort of stuff, as does Clates. I know you love Australian courses, and I know it breaks your heart not to come down here and play a bit more often. Can you give us a quick sort of assessment of what makes Australian golf so special in your eyes? Well, I think it's, uh, high, it's highly unoriginal to say this, but it's just uh, it's a beautiful merging of, of the best elements of Lynx golf and the best elements of of, of great inland architecture and i think that's why people 
at least why I respond to it, and so many people do, that it um, brings together these different looks. And let's be honest, a lot of people just uh, don't like Lynx golf for a variety of reasons, and most of it's aesthetics and the visual. And, and so when you see this, the great sandbelt courses, they, they, they bring the playing characteristics, but then they bring a look that, that is one that probably suits the eye more. Uh, you know, Clay, I was I went over to Formby. You yep. probably saw my uh, pictures I on did. Instagram. Yep. And Formby's a great example, even uh, uh, probably one of the rare places there that that is a Lynx. And on on Lynxy land, I don't know if it's technically Lynx land, but it it, it it sure feels like it. But it has trees and it has framing and visuals that uh, I mean, I don't know anybody who wouldn't find that place to be an absolutely beautiful place to look at and, and that a painter would want to paint and that um, that people would want to take photos of. And so that's what I love about the sand belt. And, uh, and I love, too, that so many courses are, are kind of trying to get back to to the, the, the look that I think is really ideal uh, for those properties. Um, going back to Formby and away from Australia, which I don't want to do, but um, <laughs> I played there a lot when I first went to Britain, but never ever even walked on the ladies' course at Formby. What's it like? You never walked on the ladies' course? No, so for those who don't know, Formby's got a men's clubhouse and a women's clubhouse, or it used to, and a men's course and a women's course. And I just played the men's course, and I was dumb and 20 and didn't know any better and didn't bother going to see the ladies' course. (laughs) But um, I think it was you who posted a picture on Twitter of the the par three and whatever, but... What's it like? I, you know, I, I, I've always regretted not seeing it. It's it's good. It, it, it's not obviously an architectural masterpiece uh, in the sense that the the main course has so many incredible holes. The the, the, the hole I posted, I think Greg Norman uh, played it with his son and told him it was just a you know his favorite hole or something. And there and and it really is a beautiful part three. But no, it's it's an ideal club in a lot of respects that they have this, this little smaller course within the main course, the women lease it from, from the, the men's club. And it's, uh, I think 5,300 yards and just fun and simple. And a beginner can go out and enjoy it. There's a lot of Heather place. Uh, it probably is, a, it probably has a little too much for a beginner, but it's great. It's walkable. It's interesting. Every hole's uh, uh, got some little twist to it, but it's nice has nice big openings into the greens and it's fun to play and it's what every course should have every, every at least every 36 hole facility should have one one really good tough course and one that uh isn't as tough and a, a lot of the members are wives of the the members of the men's club so and and they uh they can bring their husbands out and play it and they do they were doing that when i was there that's great beautiful that's so awesome. you that's awesome are we assuming you're out for the president's cup in 2019 is that your next visit here Oh, yeah. Good. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, absolutely can't wait. In fact, uh, we had Jay Monahan on our, our shack house, and I, <laughs> I asked him, uh, a, a question of, of him about his bucket list course, and uh, he mentioned that he had just spoken uh, to Adam Scott, and he, he was really jazzed about finally getting to go and see the Sandbelt courses. So our new uh, tour commissioner here is, is, uh, has not been down there, but he's, he's eager to, to get there, as am I. Unfortunately, we have a President's Cup in between at Liberty National, which could be about as far from uh, a Sandbelt golf as <laughs> yeah. you can get in terms of every every single element. So 
many of us are looking forward to that event because it takes us to an area where there are a lot of great courses. It's just not the one where the event is going. Well, at least it's at Royal Melbourne, so it's yeah. the best course down here. So it'll be great to see them all again. Yeah. Jeff, before we let you go, uh, I just want to ask you a personal question, if you don't mind. Um, you know, your career has taken a, a, a big change in the last 10, 15 years. The advent of social media and, and you know, modern media styles generally, what has it meant to you in your career? Well, it's, as you probably can guess, it's good and bad. Um, it's good in that you interact more with people than, than media folks did of the past, in the past, and you get more feedback. You know, for instance, I wouldn't have probably written that post I just did on my website about Jordan Spieth and trying to defend the amount of time he took, but I got so many people telling me that they they were really offended by it or rubbed them the wrong way or, or they were they were just not sure what to think. And so I love that element of what we do and what and, and how we can interact and respond and and get the pulse of, of what people are thinking. It's uh you know, and then the downside obviously is that, that you can uh you can get a lot of abuse or uh, nut jobs out there, even even in golf. So um, oh, they're everywhere. Uh, in that sense, it's uh, yeah, exactly. So, but I think it's mostly really been uh, good and interesting. And then also just on the, the visual side, I, I, I love uh, Instagram as well. Just getting to see golf courses and see what people are uh, are looking and loving. And I think for I think Clates would agree. I don't know uh, you think Clates, but my sense is that. Uh, we have really made a big leap in the last six, seven, eight years with, with what people expect in architecture and visually of a golf course. And I think a lot of that is social media. I don't think it's uh, something that's happened uh, by accident, obviously, because we know why this kind of golf and the looks resonate. Uh, however, you know, with something like social media, getting people getting all the reinforcement and the educational side of it, I think has really helped. And then also we just have a whole bunch of people who now agree with play tonight at the ball goes too far. So, uh, again, I think that's uh, social media driven too. Yeah, which was, I guess that was the debate about the 62 and the Saturday was that, which, yeah, you know, there was a vulnerable day, no wind, course set up. I mean, that fifth hole looked like a silly blind drivable par four, just a fake kind of short par four to me. But when you compare it to a hole like Tenet Riviera, but, you know, that was the ultimate, destination of the ball was that 65 and 66 was a commonplace round at the, at the Open Championship for the first time ever. Yeah. You know, it was just nothing to shoot 66 that day. Yeah, and everybody knew it that morning it was going to happen. And also, it was also the conditioning of the golf course, the rain, the softening of it. Um, although I am, I will say on that 62, I'm glad that, because we really thought there would be another one that day, and I'm really glad it held up on its own. And that, that it happened the way it did. And Brandon Grace was really excited about it and proud of it. And, uh, uh, it, but it definitely, and he, and he hit a lot of drivers, by the way. I don't know if you saw that place and that thing I sent you, but he also did hit a lot of all, long irons. <laughs> yeah, uh, the gap wedges. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of gap wedges into some very long par four. Yeah. Uh, I just want to reiterate to all our listeners um, if you like what Jeff's saying, and I'm, I'm not 
saying this just because you're listening, Jeff, but it's always <laughs> one of the best sources of information in world golf is jeffshackleford.com, awesome. the, the blog. And we encourage our listeners to go and log into that and, and interact because it's not just an American thing. It's a global thing, and it's really important that uh, – I think more people have that global sense of golf that yeah, Jeff clearly yeah, does. It's, a, and it's the best club blog in golf by a long way. It's fantastic. So, yeah, it is. I so, mean, I've been I've been watching it for years. It's terrific. Yeah. So, congrats on that, Jeff. And we encourage all our listeners. So, it's jeffshackleford.com well, dot and also your Shack House podcast alongside Joe, who is a legend in the minds of many over here, Jeff. Very cool. Well, thank you very much, and uh, I'm glad to hear you guys are going to make this a uh, a regular thing. I'm looking forward to subscribing. Good on you, Jeff Shanks. Thanks, mate. Great to have you on the show. We appreciate you letting us uh, bend your ear for a little longer than you probably anticipated. Thanks for being part of the show. Okay, take care, guys. Thanks, mate. Jeff Shanks. Jeff Shanks, us. We talk all things Open Championship. The Golf Australia website is now the place to go to look up your handicap and so much more. Whether you're out and about on your phone or in the office trying to avoid work, just go to golf.org.au and punch a golf link number into the box at the top of the homepage. Who knows, maybe that last round was just good enough to put you in single figures. While you're on the site, check out the daily golf results at your club, view our course index for up-to-date ratings, read the latest golf news from home and abroad, listen to Australian golf podcasts and interviews and watch video tournament highlights or tips to improve your game. It's everything a golf tragic could want. Visit golf.org.au today. The home of Australian golf. G'day, I'm Cameron Smith. Not as home as often as I'd like, but I can keep up with all the Australian golf on Inside the Road. Brilliant having access to Jeff Shackleford and completely... um, back up your views. If you're a consumer of a podcast like ours and you're not reading jeffshackover.com and you're not listening to um, Shack House, which he does with Joe House, who's part of the um, you know the whole um, Simmons. Simmons empire. Then you're doing yourself a disservice. You've got to be consuming this stuff. Oh, as I said to him before, he um, he has a global view of golf, yep. uh, and he he doesn't just try and jam American stuff down your throat. Mm. Um, he's got a full appreciation of the complexities of uh, the game at a political level, at an architectural level, everything. He's he's an all rounder of the highest order, a great writer, but also a good accumulator and distributor of other information. Good golf for Clates? Is he, yeah, is he a good player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a college player in America. His best book, which didn't, I'm not sure how well it is, it's called The Future of Golf. I guess you can probably dig it up on Amazon or something, but he wrote a book on the future of golf, which every golf administrator should read. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. <laughs> okay, let's wrap up the other bits and pieces from uh, what was an unbelievable Open Championship. Um, the Aussies. What, what do you want to? What do you? What do we take away? Six of them make the cut. Uh, halfway point, it looked like it was going to be a bleak yeah. uh, Open Championship for Australia. Great rallying from a couple of them on the weekend. Uh, what do we take away from it from an Australian perspective? Well, a quick mention to Bland and McCarthy, who yep. actually did a pretty good job Bloody in the second round after a pretty ordinary first round. Early third round, it looked awful. Uh, Hend, Leishman going backwards, Day showing not much, and Scotty likewise. Thankfully, they lit up late in the third round. Scott Hend was among the best players anywhere. Five birdies he finished with? Five in a row yeah. to finish. and You know, um, went backwards. <laughs> So against against yeah. Grace, but you know he put himself in the position, and and Day came through, and you know things were things were looking up. Um, Leishman followed suit in the same group as him. That would have been magnificent to watch if you're an Aussie over there at uh, Liverpool. But 
they haven't fired a shot other than Leash on on the Sunday. Um, bad shot sixty four. Oh, sorry, I, for, I neglected bads. I, I'm I'm getting really um, uh, troubled by the fact that time's ticking on Scotty and Day, and I got I got harassed when I said, you know, when they win in 2013 and 2015, respectively. The floodgates are going to open is, is the is the natural reaction, and the reality is they're so hard to win, and the window is so so small and so tight that if you don't do it while you're at the top of the game, opportunities can get away from you. And I I really hope that Jason Day can bounce back. I'm sure he will. He's gone through a lot of stuff this year that we shouldn't have to deal with, but um, time's ticking on Adam Scott. I love him dearly, but he's got to he's got to get one of these sooner than later because the big four zero is looming. Uh, I, I think he's going to be a good player for a, if he wants to be for a long time. Such a great swing, yeah. I mean, Talk right into that microphone, Mike. Right into I think the, the putter's always going to be the thing with yeah. him. I mean, you watch him play, it's like, why doesn't this guy win every week? I mean, yeah. I agree with that, but he, he for three or four years was the player in major championships. Yeah. He, his total score over the four majors for probably three years in a row, back around 2012, 13, 14, was... So far ahead of everyone else, it was ridiculous. So it was a Monty to be in the, in considerations come Sunday afternoon at Majors. It's not the case anymore, and I don't know if it's putting or whatever. I, I just really hope that uh, he can find it within himself to get another one that his talent warrants. Do we think he doesn't play enough? I mean, I do, but that's because I played too much. I just think they should they don't play enough. But yeah, I mean, I he's, think he's he, taken. He a, should play more. I agree. He's taken a different tactic this year. Um, previous years, he's had weeks off leading up to major championships. This year, he's played. He played in St Jude, I think, before the US Open. He played the Scottish Open just before going to Royal Birkdale. Played at the Houston Open, didn't make the cut before the Masters. Um, you know, it, he's got to find something here. He's searching desperately. I think he's. You know, he, it's not for want of trying. That's Is it for just sure. the putter? Is it the putter that just will always? He's going to need to have a hot four days at a major, and it's just going to be coincidental. It's going to be luck to I mean, a large degree with him. I don't know. I, mean, I, <clears throat> excuse me. I haven't seen him play enough the last couple of years at, at the majors to know. I, don't, I mean, It always looks like the putter, but that's because the TV goes to the putter and you watch him miss a putt. But, I mean, Jordan Spieth missed a whole bunch of putts too on Sunday. Yeah, so. He looked like he was hitting fairways <laughs> and greens. I haven't looked at his yeah. numbers, but he, he kept knocking it to 15 feet. He kept giving himself... You know, every yeah. time we saw, we didn't see much of him on the on the television coverage. But when we did, his game seemed to be pretty good. Mm. Nick, but he he just kept missing the putts that he needs to make. I think mentally he must be actually be in a reasonably strong spot because he's so despondent with himself every time he walks off a green. Yeah. Yet he still manages to flush the next drive. So you know, I'm, I don't think it's all lost. I just think the time is actually now ticking. It's 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 tangible almost for Scotty. Uh, and was Leash, he thirty eight now? Yeah, thirty eight. I think. Yeah. Leash, on the other hand. He's he's the coming thing. Um, if if he can sort of make uh, make all his world just unite for a couple of weeks, I reckon he has got a major championship mm. in him. Hasn't got Adam Scott's swing, um, and nor will he have put himself in contention nearly as much by the end of his career in majors. But he's getting really close, and he's he's easily Australia's most consistent golfer of twenty seventeen at that level. Uh, nothing but praise for Mark Leishman. Yeah, he's terrific. Yeah, um, Brandon Grace, sixty-two. We touched on it briefly on the way through with Jeff Shackelford. Um, it is the number that everyone's been, you know, sort of aspiring to for a long time. You've seen, you've seen all the great rounds in the time that you've been alive, and if you haven't seen them, mm. you've consumed them one way or another. Where, do, where is this? Is this going to get 
pushed beyond and behind, even though it is the 62. Are people going to look at 63, 64s, and maybe a couple of 65s here and there under much more penal conditions at more difficult golf courses and rate those rounds significantly higher than Brandon Grace's 62? Yeah, it's just a number. Yep. You know, it's the lowest number in a major. But, <clears throat> excuse me, I mean, the, arguably the greatest rounds ever was Ben Hogan, 67, Oakland Hills, 951. David Graham, 18 Greens, 67, Marion, 981. Greg Norman, 63 at Turnbury, 64 at St. George's. So the, the great rounds, I think, were to win. Miller, Miller's 63, probably the greatest ever. I mean, to shoot 62, sure, it's the lowest round, but it's on the third day, on a really easy day, not to get remotely close to winning the championship. So the great rounds, to me, are in, uh, Under pressure. It's all about the context. Yeah. So if you, if you were Greg Norman, oh, I'll watch this again in the lead-up to the Open Championship when he three-putted 18 for the 63. If you were Greg Norman, uh, he has this unbelievable capacity to let, seemingly mm. let this stuff just kind of wash off him. But that, that would that would haunt you every step for the rest of your life, wouldn't no, you? No, no. Don't you reckon? No. <laughs> He's sure. No, well, not compared with Augusta in No, but, but, but all I mean, of... There's, there's haunting and there's haunting. How I he mean, still takes his clothes off and, uh, you know, sort uh, of displays himself yeah. publicly for the world to see. He should be completely the opposite. The number of traumatic events that, that he has put himself through, largely at his own hands. Yeah, but he won 90 times. I mean, he's put, I mean, him, it's a phenomenal he, career, he put himself through some pretty that's, nice that's, times that's too, true. Greg. He's been, been on the occasional private jet and <laughs> 13,000 acre yeah. farm in Colorado and <laughs> pretty life. nice place in Jupiter. And yeah, it's all right. He's done all right. Thought about life. Oh, in the shimmering highland <laughs> waters of Colorado, Andy, just look back at him fondly. So the tournament could have been played, the Open Championship could have been played, and nobody could have noticed Sean Norris had he not shot 65 in the third round. Anchoring. The anchoring. <laughs> oh, that's so, just, I mean, it's just a farce now. <laughs> he, he, this thing is he's pressing the top of his putter into his sternum. Like uh, There is no question about this. Well, I, I'm not sure you well, can no, maybe not pressing. say... No, maybe not pressing, but it's making but, contact with his... But show him why the rule is such a bad rule. That Langer and McCarran and Norris are not seen to be playing by the rules. And they, they can claim they are, and perhaps they are. But the world's looking at it going, he's cheating. So if, if, he, shoots, if he shoots 74 in the third round and no one sees him play, no one's talking about it. That's exactly right. Do you know what I mean? So, so maybe one of his playing partners on the Thursday or Friday, who knows, has walked up to a rules official and said, hey, mate, the blokes... I, mean, I don't know where the players do this because it sounds like you're lagging, but surely a player must have... One of his co-play... One of his playing partners must have looked at him and said, uh, So just for okay? reference for okay? everyone, everyone listening, this is the guy who was first out, played by himself or with a marker in, yeah. the, in the third round of the Open Championship. And he lit it up, especially early. So the camera, the camera drifts to him. Um, you know, it's 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 going to happen. I I think the anchoring thing is whether it's actually resting into some part of your body, not your shirt. And I, but I'm not I'm not saying it's legal. I don't I don't yeah, yeah. I don't buy that it's legal. I do 150 percent buy what Clates just said about the perception. It, it, the perception here is everything. Simon Magdulski here on the show last week, you know, said, and he, I've talked to him already about Norris, and he said, I don't think he's anchoring, and it's just brushing against his shirt. What are we going to do in 50-kilometer-an-hour winds? My response to that is, it doesn't matter if he's touching it or not or if he intends to or not. It's the perception that he's cheating is everything in golf because golf is that ultimate game for that. We police ourselves. Just cut the thing in half. I know this is too simple a solution, 
But just make it the shortest club. It's the, the club used to hit the ball the shortest distances in the game. Make it the shortest club in the bag. And then this issue, and I understand what you say. Say mm. the word again. Perception. No, no. Bifurcation. That's the oh, word. Bifurcation. Oh, I wanted you to be able to say the word to make it 10 out of 10. But, okay, let it be used on a Wednesday comp at your local, but... Have I convinced you? Oh, yeah, well, yeah, maybe. Yeah, if, no, if that's what it's going to take. But, but the amateur golfers barely use it. Well, that's right. You hardly ever see it. I've never, I've never played with a bloke who's used a long putter. Ever. Oh, no, I've never played with anyone who does this thing on his chin. and oh, Never. No, I have. Have, I have. you? Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and to be honest, they come and go. Um, I mean, the good thing about the rule was it killed the belly putter, which you were which, which was going to yep. take over. Yep. This the way Langer putts is once Langer and McCarran are done playing, no one's going to pick up a putter and putt the way these guys are playing. So, so it's a short term problem, but but the, just cut more. Come but, on. But the perception is they're not playing by the rule, whether they are or not. I don't care. I mean, I Bernard Langer's the straightest bloke you'd ever meet, and I would never question his integrity. Yep. But you look at it and go, that's not right. Can't, and another, and everyone's one. looking at it and saying, that's not right, in, including players on the senior tour. Can't we just make it the shortest? I've got another one for you, Andy. Can't. It was absolutely stark clear on uh, the final round when Matt Kuchar's caddy is doing his own little version of aim point uh, and walk, walking on the line. If you see it on the 17th hole in well, particular. Someone brought it up. Uh, it, it's ex- Sam Torrance brought it up, I think, didn't he? Someone did he? Did. Oh, did no, they, definitely that, yeah. did. they definitely yeah, did. Yeah, they said, what's he... Now, this rule is going to go by the by, and on the January 1, 2019, when the new rules come in, the modernisation rules actually are applied, and you can tap down spike marks and whatever you like and even touch the touch the green between your ball and the hole. But for right now, for the next 15, 16, 18 months, it's a bad look for, you know, for a game that's never been able to you know, repair anything that's happened between your ball and the cup. Can you imagine how much stuffing around there's going to be on greens now? Well, the other bad look, which is my pet hate, and Finchie's and a Shacklebirds and a bunch of other guys. Is these guys who leave the ball by the hole? Oh, I wanted to get chipping. to that. Oh, I've got it's that a, written down here. It's a it's joke. A joke. It's it a has to stop. Joke. It happened. I saw it happen three times. It's unbelievable. It like it's it, funny that the you're ru- scrambling around the green. You knock it to two feet. The bloke's coming from the other side of the hole. Of course, there's a. Ch- he's going to hit it around I mean, the hole. The last group at the U.S. Open second hole. Thomas Justin Thomas said over the back of the green. Brian Harmon missed it on the on the left. Chipped it up to eighteen inches by the hole. And left his ball there. And the last group of the US Open, well, Thomas chipped. I mean, why are you doing No, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's just it's crazy stuff. I mean, where's the rules official saying, Brian, mark your ball? Yeah. Well, just go. But surely it's incumbent on the player. Wait on. I'll just go mark that. Like, just sure. You, well, we well, do that. You do that at Kerr Lewis, Hazy. Of course. We never leave our ball that close to the hole. None of my mates are good enough to get it that close to the hole anyway. <laughs> but you, 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 you mark the ball. It's just what you do. But it goes on all the time to the point where. It's almost as though the guys don't even know the rule. And and the rule is you can't collude. So yeah. there's, a, there's there's an out. Well, we didn't collude. Well, yeah. no, you colluded. Someone colluded 15 years ago and decided that was okay. So now it's just become okay. You don't have to conclude. You, conclude. Sorry, you collude. don't have collude. to yep. collude. You just, it just gets done. It's just, I'll just leave it there. Can I ask you one more thing, your thoughts on this? And it's not my thought. I've seen it out there before, but it's one that I love. If we want to speed up play... Once your ball's on the green, only the players are allowed on the green. You talk about Cooch's caddy. Only players are allowed on the green. Well, no caddies on greens. No, someone's got to hold the flag and clean the ball. And... Why can't one of the other pl- No, you throw the ball to the bloke on the air. No, you need... the, one of the other players can take the... So but, how, but how cool was it? But, so George, that can't work. On the 15th green when Jordan Spieth, get that out. 
when it, when the caddy go, when he held the putt get, get go get that. That was pretty cool. But no, you need no, you need caddies on the green. You need them on the green. Hold the flag to clean okay, the ball. Okay, they're not allowed to read putts. Well, and and when one player's in the bunker and his caddy's raking the bunker, the other player's caddy cleans the other player's ball. Perfect. And, but they're not know. allowed to read putts. Well, do they read putts that often anyway? Oh, some oh, of them yeah. do. Plates, yeah, cool. everywhere, mate. I hated caddies reading. They're looking plates. at books now. Well, well, you used well, to read your eye. They need to ban those got... things. Those things need to be banned. They're a joke. That's crazy. They are a complete joke. Just. Use your eyes. That they're all the rage. They players swear by those things now. They cost a fortune yeah. those books, don't they? But they do. One yeah. guy was charging, I think, five hundred bucks for a book. But but I think they're going to ban those, aren't they? I don't know. They need Personally, to. I hope so. I mean, yeah, you know, people. The argument about the marking the ball by the hole is why well, it speeds up play if they're going. You know, there's nothing could slow play down more than the next generation of kids who are reading algebra with their caddy <laughs> on the green <laughs> before they park. Right. Um, last one from me it was just in my sort of trash box of uh, outbox of things I wanted to talk to you two about Andrew, Beef, Andrew Johnson yep. is he a clown is he a clown the, the two mics I don't know who they are but there's some radio yeah, no, show over there and they've, they've put out a poll uh, you know is he a clown or is he an inspiration this one is Beef Golf an inspiration to young golfers or a clown as at Mike Parry 8 claims hashtag the open so they've said he's. This bloke said he's a clown. He's a clown. He's not a proper golfer. He's out there. He's a clown. No, he's a world. He's I'm not elite, but he's a world class golfer. God, he's he's not a clown. He's an entertainer, and he's excited about where he's got to in his life. He's just a very simple knockabout English boy who's made good. I mean, he, I think he's entitled to be excited, and we shouldn't try and knock the the rough edges off him. No, and and he plays it well. Obviously, he's made a lot of money out yeah. of the image, but. At the same time that everyone's complaining about there being no personalities in the game, you finally get someone who's yep. clearly <laughs> identifiable in a lineup from every other player in the world, <laughs> and they start complaining about him because, well, you know, he's like, shave your beard off and act like everyone else. Well, no, I think he's great. Yeah, no, so he's awesome. Anything else but, before we. Oh, I wrap just it love up? that little yeah. story that I think it was, uh, oh, now I've forgotten, Thomas Bjorn was saying on the coverage on the TV the other night when. Uh, when a Frenchman was watching him play in France a few weeks ago, and he said "il boeuf, il boeuf," he wasn't going to call him beef. Oh, he had to be the French Frenchman for the. Uh, oh. the, the classic, Didn't come across as well. Sorry, Thomas. No, you did well. The classic was the letter the English bloke wrote to the paper about the disgraceful behaviour of the fans of Birkdale oh. when loud applause for Jordan Spieth every time he came onto the green, and the whole crowd was booing Matt Kuchar. <laughs> That was a classic. <laughs> He's like, mate, where have you been? He bothered to write that to the letter to the editor. Yeah. Extraordinary. G'day, I'm my golf ambassador, Jason Day. I'm really excited to be an ambassador for my golf, Australian Golf's National Junior Program, jointly run by Golf Australia and the PGA. My golf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about teaching children the basic skills of golf in a safe and healthy environment. And just as importantly, about the life skills that golf can teach you that distinguish our sport from the rest. Remember to visit mygolf.org.au for more information. G'day guys, it's Brian Russell here. And I'm a long way from home, playing on the Latin America tour and living in the US. But I keep up with all my Australian golf by listening inside the road. There's a thousand great stories in the world of golf, Hazy and Clates. And we are joined by a man who... Cut his teeth in Australia, well known, of course, to Australian sports fans as an international representative of Australia and one day international cricket, an outstanding first class player for Tasmania's taking his game of cricket all over the world. Almost played a test match for Australia, almost. We know that story all too well. Brett Jeeves is the man we're talking about. 
and he joins us on Inside the Ropes. Uh, great to have you here, Brett. Oh, thanks for having me. Love Melbourne. It's a great place. Being a people watcher, I just sit and watch <laughs> Melbourne people all day. Well, there's something to be said about all of that. And with your beard, uh, you sort of fit right in on the inner north. I mean, there's Very, any number yeah, of you, yeah, absolutely. Big coffee drinker as well. Well, yeah. you, you found your right place. <laughs> uh, we could talk to you for hours about what you've done um, in the world of cricket, obviously. But um, Hazy's um, brought, us, brought you to our attention because of what you're trying to do in the world of golf. And this is the sort of story that 100% of us would like to have happen to us. What's happening? Yeah, well, do you want me to, yeah, yeah. Look, it's um, it's something that uh, golf for me has always been a great outlet. So having sort of spent some time in the professional bubble of of sport, um, you know, being in cricket, um, you know, coming through that semi professional stage as well, where we would train in the morning, there'd be a weight session, we'd eat breakfast afterwards, and you know, go and play golf, <laughs> come back for a net session. So, you know, we were playing in all honesty for about five or six years during that semi-professional stage, rather than go and get jobs or study. Um, we worked on our golf handicaps, and um, so it's always been a really good release and a great outlet, but something I've never ever taken seriously. Um, and so, you know, uh, coming transitioning out of out of cricket and and playing some club cricket and, and doing some coaching and. Um, it just felt like the time was right to, to, to challenge myself in a, in a different area. And, um, you know, it's, it's something that I watch a lot of club golfers. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm your, I am your stereotypical club golfer. I turn up late. I complain that I can never get the first tee shot in the fairway. You know, why can't I get the first tee? Well, you turned up late. You didn't hit any balls. Uh, you've had a pint of beer. You've already eaten, you know, a big hamburger. You know, so what, what we're trying to do is to see whether or not, you know, your stereotypical club golfer who's got – um, you know, I've got a good foundation for a game, but like most club golfers, I can't chip, I can't putt, and I hit a slice and can't hit a draw. Um, but I've sort of, you know, given I was playing three or four days a week, I've been able to morph that into, you know, the whole strengths and weaknesses scenario, and I can get it rounds um, off two or three. Um, but the challenge now is, you know, that gap that we see in club golf of, you know, your good club players, your, your two and three markers, but then your absolute gems, uh, you know, your plus fours and plus fives, is that gap actually attainable? Um, do we have a limit? Is it a practicing, you know, the 10,000 hours? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yep. You know, that scenario. So, and I guess, you know, making it work for your standard club golfer as well. So in and around work commitments and a family and you've got three kids and, you know, so... Um, effectively, all I'm trying to do is justify this little project to the wife when I walk out with my golf shoes on. Uh, she's like, oh, well, he's off on his project. You know, we can make that work. He comes back eight hours later. Um, so, yeah, look, it's, it's, it's an interesting little little sort of concept that um, I'm working closely with Christian Rainey, who's a, um, a, a Golf Australia high-performance coach uh, based out of Tassie. Um, we've started the process. We're about eight weeks in, and um, it's it's been the greatest uh, and the most fun I've had in in sport. Uh, Christian's a great coach, excellent communicator. He, you know, he's good at banter, but, but it hasn't got that. It hasn't got that professional feel to mm. it. It's 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 gross enjoyment. Um, so you know, the commitment awesome. of having to be there at seven yeah. o'clock isn't um, you know, and having to get my body in good shape is <laughs> always a challenge. Um, you know, it's it's been great fun so far. I was a bit disturbed when he said hamburger and looked down at my guts. I was, I was very nervous about that, Andy. I, I just, just to clarify for people, Brett's goal here is to make the Tasmanian team to play in the Interstate Series in 2018. So we're not just talking about some sort of uh, pie-in-the-sky thing. He's got a goal, uh, and there's some 
there's some bloody good golfers down in Tassie. They're just not full-time enough as they are in some of the other states with the Institute of Sport programs. But he's got a, a big task set up ahead of him here. Yeah, and that's, yeah, I mean, it's it's a goal. And, um, you know, I guess it goes back to what we were talking about before is, you know, is that gap actually attainable? Can we can we bridge that as a as a club player with two or three practice sessions a week and, you know, um, you know, some targeted practices? Well, I mean, I've never practiced, you know. So, you know, like I said, being a stereotypical club player, I turn up late on a Saturday. Uh, now that I work full-time and have kids and expect to, you know, sort of play off that two mark, um, you know, which is really, really tough to do. So, um, you know, in conjunction with that as well, we're, we're working um, with Tourism Taz to try and get um, uh, a little, you know, I guess, a little project off the ground that, that covers off a little bit more of Tasmanian golf and what it has to offer. Um, so we know, you know, the, the courses and, you know, Barnboogle and Lost Farm and the introduction of the King Island courses, um, you know, they sit worldwide rankings straight away, which is phenomenal. But it's a bit of a gem, Tassie, that, that seems to go um, a little bit lost. People travel down and they play those courses, Barnboogle and Lost Farm, um, but they're actually missing out on... on uh, Excuse me, um, missing out on a lot more, you know, really pure golf, golf experiences and magnificent courses. So, with Tourism Taz, we're going to look to showcase some of that and, and talk a little bit more about the courses that aren't in that, you know, that mainstream, you know, commercial that that, that gets all the access um, from the from the tourist demographic. Um, so, you know, we're looking to showcase some of that as well as, you know, with Christian, you know, providing some coaching and some tips along the way to those that are uh, that are checking into those. Um, uh, those little programs. So golf's kind of the game that sportsmen from other <laughs> I knew you were going to sports <laughs> gravitate to. Like Nigel Mansell played the Australian Open. Yep, yep. Michael Jordan tried to play some. Scott Draper did the best of anyone, won the New South Wales PGA. There's a long line of guys who've gone to play golf. I don't know, but I suspect when we were 12 years old, you'd get nervous and you'd play a schoolboys tournament and you'd learn to play nervous. You learned to play golf when you were nervous. So Bobby Jones said, the diff- there's, "There's a difference between golf and to- golf and tournament golf, and it's as wide as the, the ocean." So I guess the question is, when you learn to play cricket as a little kid, you learn to play nervous, I assume. Yep. yep. So in golf, when you learn to play nervous, you understand what's going on. You understand how to manage that. If you've never played tournament golf. There's a massive gap between, which is what I guess you've got to learn. I'm sure you can play great, mm. but the trick is to tee up in the interstate series on the first tee, playing against some kid from New South Wales and go and handle it. Yeah, and yeah, look, and, 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 and Scotty Draper did that better than anyone who's ever played, who's ever switched sports. He was, I mean, to win the New South Wales PGA, it wasn't a great field, but it was a decent field. And for a guy, you know, being a top forty tennis player to go and do that was, story. I thought it was incredible because yeah. Mansell and those other guys were. Dads, really. <laughs> well, which is me as well. I'm in the Mansell category. Um, but well, I mean, well, yeah, but, yeah. But yeah, the thing is to learn to play nervous. Yeah, and look, and, and, that, and that's a great point. And one of my biggest challenges that I can see already is that I've never played pressure golf. Mm. So, you know, you're Saturday club golfer, you're, you're beating yourself, and that's about it. And you're doing it with a can of Coke and, you know, and a bag of chips and a dim sim, and, and away you go. But, you know, to, to do it under pressure. Um, where every shot actually counts for something is is something that I'm I'm most nervous about. Yeah. Um, I think technically I can I can make the improvements to you know to be a better player, but it is going to be actually understanding the craft of tournament mm. play. Um, I've I've never really played match play, 
Um, you know, so it's it's they're they're the they're the little things. You know, I think that are going to be the biggest challenges. It's not necessarily going to be the stroke of the ball yeah. or, or picking up the technical stuff, but actually understanding the game of golf is yeah. and something I'm so keen to to, to know more about. Well, it's the funnest part. But I mean, people ask me how I'm playing. I said, I don't know. I haven't played a tournament. I yeah, don't know how I'm playing. Yeah. I might go and play golf, but I play okay. But that's not that, that doesn't count. Which I, which again, I guess, is what amateurs don't perhaps understand about why golf is so. Why they don't understand what happens? It's like well. They're just playing golf, and it's <laughs> it doesn't you know, matter. I mean, it doesn't matter. Yeah, you know, and then you tee up for you, you play with amateurs in a pro am, and it, you know it's a big deal. And they they can't, I can't understand why I'm playing so badly. Well, you're nervous. Yeah, you know, I mean, anyone can go and play golf, and, that, and that's kind but, of yeah. You know, when you te- when you're teeing up and it actually means something, it's a completely different game. To me, that's that's always been the law to golf is that. The, the gap between skills and, and numbers, so, you know, handicap is is enormous, you know. So the gap between your 10 marker in skill to your 2 marker is, is quite large. Mm. The gap between your 2 marker and your plus 3 marker is absolutely enormous. But the biggest gap of all is, you know, those guys that are plus 3 to Jason Day, which is just not, you know, you can't bridge that gap. It's just not going to happen. Um, which is, you know, I love the story of Ryan McCarthy, who's, um, he made his way into the British Open, his first major, and, and, and a great achievement. Affable young man, good sense of humour. He's got the you know the right approach, but he's been he's been battling his way through um, through a number of different tours. He's you know spoken openly about quitting eight or nine times, and it's it's not the life that you know. The hey, I'm a I'm, I'm a I'm a professional golfer. Wow, you know what you do is drink cans and you know sort of you know travel the world bank and, checks yeah, yeah bank yeah. checks and you know let's let's actually look at the guys you know the percentages of guys that that really struggle to you know to reach that that extreme echelon which you know 99.9% of us will never ever reach we just don't have it in us whether it's a you know the the, the psyche of tournament mm. play or whether it's the physical attributes or you know you can't just pick it up at 35 and be 30 kilos overweight and expect to you know, kind of, you know, being absolute gun at it. Damn it! So we're so, all out. That counts us all so, out. So, Clates, and uh, this obviously yeah. includes, you know, Brenton Hayes as well. But a guy who's off, you know, one or two, and he's going to commit to the year uh, with, you know, specialised coaching the way he is. Um, you might get down. You might shave a shot or two, maybe three shots. You might get down a plus two, maybe. All things being well, equal, it's not so much the handicap. It's can you go and tee up in the Tasmanian Amateur or the Australian Amateur and shoot seventy two. Doesn't matter what your handicap is. Can you actually tee up and get around in par? That's but if right. you're playing off five, you can't do that. No, you got no chance. But if no. you're playing off plus four, then you you you, you technically from a, the pure numbers, you can do that. I mean, you've shot you've shot sixty eight before. You know, you have, you've, it's not as if you stand on the first tee at Royal Hobart or wherever it is, yeah. thinking, "Well, I need to shoot seventy here, and I've never shot seventy before in my life." At least you know you can shoot yeah. the number. You know. Yeah. And, I mean, it kind of goes back to the point about. Um, doing it under pressure, you know, I, my best score is a 69, and it actually came after my very first putting lesson with Christian. So we thought that we were, you know, groundbreaking. I was going to be Jason Day. We're like, wow, one lesson, and he shot 69. Jeez, but it came under, you know, the extreme relaxation of playing with the three guys that I play with every Saturday. Um, it came on my home course that I've played now some, you know, 1,500 yeah. times. Yeah. Yeah. It's not on, a, a, you know, it's it's not on a, a course that's foreign to me that, you know, has skinny little greens. I don't know the in, it, 
I don't know the intricacies of the greens. I don't know where to land it. Um, you know, the, the you know the second hole of Tassie, I know what I'm going to hit. And I know where I'm going to hit it, and you know, I I can grab the club out of my bag with my eyes closed. But can I do that at Royal Hobart down the road where I've played maybe a handful of times? N- no, you know. Maybe. Well, like we've talked maybe about not. before, it's like Jordan Spieth. You watched <laughs> Jordan Spieth play the front line like a four handicap on mm-hmm. last weekend. I mean, you know, he was awful. Well, well for a world-class player, he was awful. But which shows how the pressure affects even the greatest players. They get in the first tee with a three-shot lead in the Open Championship and you hit your three-putt and you hit in the rough and you can't hit the greens and you... You know, it's a hard game. <laughs> so, mate, you're you're gonna you're pounding it out with Christian Rainey now, and Christian, as you says, he's a ripping bloke, um, leading coach in Tassie and national coach for the Golf Australia as well. What what uh, pathway have you set up for yourself here? Do you play in an Australian Amateur Championship to measure your progress towards your goal, or do you do you stick around just in Tassie and sort of, you know, in this smaller pond and and try and uh, you know come to the top there, or what's your path? Yeah, so I mean, we've mapped out a bit of a plan that um, yeah, the, we've been eight we're eight weeks in, um, I guess, to the you know the weekly coaching and some practice on the sides. Um, the initial plan wasn't to tinker with too much, so um, you know a lot of work on putting and short game, which is my my biggest weakness. Um, but we've sort of we've sort of changed a little bit it's sort of everything seems to have happened quite quickly the the improvement has been has been really good so much my, my short game is now actually saving every round I play um which is quite remarkable if you'd seen me try and chip previously it was like someone chopping wood but um but I, I mean I guess as far as the you know the plan um uh, it, as you would be aware, uh, Golf Taz are now aligned to Golf Australia in terms of the high-performance programs. Uh, so I will be involved in, in that program from a high-performance perspective. I think there are a couple of opportunities to, to travel interstate and, and play some of those um, some of those amateur tournaments, which will be exciting. Of course, the you know the Tassie Amateur um, is just before Christmas, um, and there's another one that escapes me. I do have the schedule at home, but um, we have sort of broken it down into into sort of you know four weekly stints in in terms of preparation and um, you know what we're going to be targeting and what we're working on. The, the other thing which has been really good to work with is shots to hole. Um, which is a, a program that um, a lot of the pros use, and what you do is you you, know, you break down, you know, every every shot is is sort of written down and 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 put into a system, and it gives you feedback as to where your you know your glaring weaknesses are. Um, and the first thing that showed to me is that I you know I don't make a putt outside of five feet. Um, so you know straight away we've got you know some targeted practice to work on, but. Um, I'm just happy to see where it takes me. You know, the fact that I can get out and play some golf and, and the wife seems to be okay with it at the moment is hey, it's, you, just, it's just the biggest win of all so, time. So this is my last one for this you. Is a, yeah. Every, everybody listening to this is sick to the gut, the pit of their stomach that you've actually been able to pull this off. How did you do this? Just so we can go home and try and do the same thing. Well, it was hard because, you know, I mean, you've got to monetize everything yeah, right. when it comes to, you know, family and the wife and so I just sold a tour as the as the project, and this is what we're working towards. And you know the opportunity, you know, to you know make a, a little side earner with some, you know, telling the story and you know working with tourism Taz, and you know, and, and it's going to be good fun. So, so people are listening to this and they're thinking, I want to follow the Brecci story here. Is there going to be a way where? You know, on a weekly basis, a fortnightly basis, we're going to be getting some sort of updates on. Yeah, how you're I mean, the plan at this stage is through Tourism Taz to to do six. 
um, you know, little features, I guess, which will be about 10 to 15 minutes, as I said before, which will showcase the courses. But we'll also document some of the stuff that we're working on uh, from a coaching perspective and there'll be a little bit of the story in that. Um, we're also working towards, you know, a, a weekly or a fortnightly uh, little yarn um, that'll that'll be supported by Golf Australia on the website and a host of other media platforms as well. Um, so, yeah, and and it's and it's fun. That that's that's what we're trying to get across is that it's, you know, um, you know, looking at at some of the different demographics in the game and and and. Already having sort of been in it eight weeks, I can see some really interesting dynamics playing out, you know, with regard, you know, sponsorship in, in of golf in Australia and, and, and the available funds through, you know, government and in comparison to some of the other sports. And, and it's been really interesting to, to sort of come into a completely different sport um, and sort of watch how it, how it unfolds. And look, you know, Golf Taz is... Is you know, and I, I don't want to be disrespectful, but they're almost new to the you know to the high performance program as well. A lot of the the work previously is you know we've got some super talented guys, um, but they haven't necessarily had access through the Institute of Sport um, to to improve their games to the point where uh, you know under that high performance um, sort of guys, I guess. So yeah, I'm I'm extremely fortunate to come in at the right time from a golf Taz perspective in Golf Australia, and yeah, looking forward to the challenge. Trivia question. Oh, here we go, here we go. Look out. Connection <laughs> between Hobart and Raw Birkdale. Golf in Hobart and Raw Birkdale. I look cold. Yeah. Come on. Uh, no. no. Peter Tugut, leading amateur, 1954, <laughs> oh, 1954 Open yeah. Championship, Raw Birkdale. Oh, I could have got that one. P- Peter Tugut was a great player. He was that generation who would have been a tremendous player as a pro, but school teacher, grew up at Royal Kingston Beach, greenkeeper. Yep. Well, his father was a greenkeeper. Lived in the hut by the... Yep. Fifth tee or sixth green, whatever. One but, of the one of the great headlines, Clates. Oh um, yeah, one of the, yeah. the great headlines. Oh, yeah, you go. Um, so his brother John. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so they they played off in a Tassie amateur. Yeah. Um, did was it a? Did they go to? Talking to the mic there, death? Brett. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, I was yeah. chatting to Clates. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I forgot where I was. Um, <laughs> so those dazzling eyes, yeah, places really got me. Um, so they played off in the in the Tassie amateur, and I think Peter won. And the headline was "Too good, too good for too good," <laughs> which is just classic journalism. It was a, yeah. a great, great lead. That yeah. is the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> so yeah. So Peter Tuga was a leading amateur at the Open when Tomo won the first Open, at, and Doug Backley won the British Amateur that year. You'll be welcome back anytime. Yeah. Somebody can actually answer a Mike Clayton trivia question. <laughs> you'll be welcome back with open arms on this podcast whenever you like, mate. Do we have an opinion on the cricket dispute? Wow, anyway, geez, how the, long have we got? I don't know. We, we've got two minutes. Did we see the? Uh, we got two and, minutes. Actually, yeah, Andy, I'm keen to get your thoughts on yeah. this. Did you see Shane Watson turning up to the? Yes, I did. Turning up to the. Um, <laughs> Was it you? Who tweeted yeah, something about this. Turning up to the, <laughs> the, the. Yeah, they're fighting for more money. We need more money. Great. Grassroots. It's grassroots, about, grassroots about, you know, yeah, we want yeah. more money. And Shane's wearing a $6,000 jacket he's got straight <laughs> off his yacht that's come direct from Milan. You know, he's wearing a, the an elephant, he's wearing an elephant handbag, <laughs> like straight elephant hide. Straight off a goat's chin And it, it, it just was, it was such a bad play, you know, from a public relations perspective. If you're the general punter and, you know, you're watching that unfold and you're about to fork out cash for the ashes, as you should, it's a, you know, it's a must-see. Um, and they're the guys that are representing this fight for more cash. 
Um, it, it just, you know, they couldn't have handled it, handled it any worse, no. I don't think, in terms of the, the public relations. But Cricket Australia have been equally poor. Um, yeah, and I think hopefully, you know, the, the news floating out of the negotiations is that they are starting to make some progress. And it just needs to happen because the fight is actually about, you know, the 17, 18, 19, 20-year-olds that are entering the game as men and as female now, uh, having their first crack at, at full-time professional cricket under the, uh, under the MOU. That's what the fight's about, um, and and currently we've got you know kids that are, are entering their first four hundred professional cricket. It's a dream come true. They've been working towards this for eight years, um, and they're all unemployed. You know, no one's getting paid, and and that's what it's about. The kids that are making fifty grand a year as rookies uh, are now you know sitting twiddling their thumbs, uh, having their hearts broken because you know we, we, there's there's no cash for them. Um, so it's yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see how it pans out. Are you trying to tell me that his old TCA teammates don't rock up to Lindisfarne in Beamers? Um, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> oh, look, there's a lot of yeah, there, there's a lot of cash. I'm not sure which side you're trying to get me to take here. But <laughs> I think it just looked like there was a guided question. You wanted me to side with you on something? No, no. Look, I mean the local uh, the local Range Rover distributor is certainly well looked after. Uh, from a Tassie cricket perspective, the mate, boys it's uh, it, there's that's a mess. What you're doing's a joy, and we wish you all the very best. Hopefully, well, this has got an unbelievable outcome. And thanks for coming on the show and telling us. Oh, about thank it you today. for having me. It's yeah, awesome. appreciate it. Brett Jeeves, who uh, has done what he's done as a cricketer at first class and international level here in Australia and around the world, trying to live the dream as a golfer. And uh, everybody here is right in his corner. Hi, this is Sherelle McMahon. Swing Fit is the fun, healthy, social way for women to get started in golf. You'll learn the basics of the golf swing and how to putt over a six-week program and get your whole body moving through yoga and Pilates-style exercises. You don't need any golf knowledge or equipment. Simply turn up in comfy clothing and get started. You'll be surrounded by like-minded people and receive constant support. So get outdoors, meet new friends and learn a sport that you can play for the rest of your life. To find a program near you, visit swingfit.com.au. Hi, my name is Thorian New. Carl Phillips, welcome to Inside the Ropes and congratulations on winning the Southern Amateur. Uh, I was looking at the uh, the honour board, Carl. Bobby Jones, one of the most famous names in golfing history, has won it three times. Ben Crenshaw, Justin Leonard, more recently Webb Simpson, Kyle Stanley, who are obviously good uh, tour players and it's I think the fifth ranked amateur tournament in the USA so must have been a real thrill for you uh, and maybe even a surprise I'm not sure uh, it was definitely something uh, unexpected uh, you know heading into the week I was playing very solid golf come off of a bunch of top tens and AJGA tournaments and uh, invitationals and uh, you know my game was there I just uh, I played some of the best golf I've ever played that week and uh, managed to pull off the, the win, which was definitely something I dreamt of doing. So you shot 67 on the final day, which was by far the lowest number of the day, 15 under the card overall at North Carolina Country Club, which is in the famous village of Pinehurst. And I was looking at the, the closest guy to you was a, a, a person called Stony Crouch, who's entering his senior year at university um, in the States. And a lot of the guys in this field, it wasn't a junior event, it's, a, it's an open age event. Um, a lot of these guys were older than you, weren't they? Yes, they were. Intimidating at all? 
you know, I've played a few events where uh, the, the the people I've played in the field with have been in college and in, you know, mid-amps like the USM and the Western Am last year. And, you know, it, it's not really intimidating because age doesn't really mean anything to me. It's more just your skill. And um, I just go out there and play my game. And if it's better than their game, then I guess I came out on top. I'm told that you almost had to, to pull out of the tournament. Tell us a story about the fire ant attack. Okay, uh, yeah, I was in Dallas. Uh, it would have been two days before I got to North Carolina, or the day before. And I was just tripping around on the green after my lesson with Cameron McCormick. And Your coach, yeah. I guess, yeah, to my coach. And I was just tripping, and I looked down, and my foot was covered in ants, and I didn't know what ants they were. It just took my shoe off, ran inside, they're all in my sock, and uh, then, you know, 20 minutes later, after I washed my foot with some cold water, it was just massive swelling, and uh, when I played my practice round, I couldn't walk the last few holes, um, so I really only got the one practice round and took a day off before the tournament started to kind of heal it up, and luckily for me, the medicine I was taking uh, managed to heal it all up before the, uh, the first round. In which you shot 65. That might have uh, yes. come out of the blue. Uh, I think your dad, Paul, said uh, that you, you looked like the elephant man, your, your leg at least. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pretty bad. Um, tell us your, your backstory, Carl. Uh, you came out of Melbourne. I think your first club really was the Southern Golf Club in the Sandbelt in Melbourne. But I looked up this morning. I, I did a story on you for The Age in 2011 when you won a big tournament in, uh, I think it was the US Kids Championships. It was called in uh, 2011. You were nine years of age. And I, I know that you'd played a lot of golf before that, obviously. But tell us how you came to golf and that, that kind of story. Well, um, I guess when I was younger, you know, everyone has their role model they look up to. And, you know, my role model looking up that I looked up to was my dad. And uh, I guess I just kind of went out and played with him occasionally and fell in love with the game going out late night and uh, I guess he just kind of taught me he never really had a coach until I came to the US and he'd been kind of guiding me swing wise and everything uh, throughout the years and you know as I went from the younger stage I started traveling around the world the US to play like the US kids that I won a few times the junior world in San Diego which I won a couple times and then uh, after I was I think I was 11 I moved over to the states to go to an academy on a scholarship and uh, that's when I left Australia and I've been here for four years now uh, just now starting to play higher level events and everything starting to click with my game and uh, it's amazing how everything's progressed over the years your uh, your arrival to golf at such a young age was sort of compared with with Tiger Woods. I'm just interested to know, um, for someone who started so early and now you're going to go to, you know, down the track you're going to go to Stanford University in California, that kind of thing, and I presume that you want to uh, become a pro and, and, and that kind of thing. Do you love playing still? Do you enjoy getting out there and playing still? Does it get your, oh, it's, you know, your competitive fires going? Oh, yeah, it's the best thing for me. You know, practice only gets me so far, but then out there competing... It's, it's just so fun, the different quality and level of players that I face every week. It's just, it's awesome. And being able to test my game against, 
you know, juniors and then also college players and mid-ams is, is really special. And, uh, you know, I play on some really nice courses, especially on the AJGA, and uh, really blessed to have all the opportunities I've been given. Now, you're living in Florida now and going to high school, but uh, you have committed to Stanford, which, of course, is Tiger Woods' old university. What, what's the future hold for you? Uh, I know that you're in Dallas at uh, a Golf Australia camp this week, but I think the U.S. Amateur is coming up, sorry? Yeah, hopefully I have my USM qualifier tomorrow, which is the 25th. And uh, if I get into that, yeah, I'll have the US Amateur. But if not, then I think I'll go over to play the Scottish boys. And how's it working with uh, Cam McCormack? That guy uh, is in Dallas. Uh, he's a coach of Jordan Spieth. He coaches So Yon Yu, the world number one women's player as well. Um, you know, he's, he's a very big wheel in the coaching uh, stratosphere now. How's that been going? Since I've joined him, I uh, haven't finished outside the top ten, so I guess it's working. <laughs> I mean, my swing has gotten super solid, and just uh, everything that I've worked on with him has been game-changing, and my scores have just gotten progressively better. Um, I've only shot over par, I think, once or twice this summer, and uh, it's it's really great. We uh, understand each other. We have a good time, and yeah, he also coaches a bunch of my friends uh, on the junior level over here. So uh, it's just a really good environment and love the facilities he, he coaches at. And uh, you know, just my game has just drastically just risen to another level since I've been with him. You mentioned that you've been living in the States for four years now. Uh, you're picking up a little bit of a, an American accent. I'm sure people would comment on that. But your Twitter handle is Koala Carl. So I, I hope that we, you won't be lost to us forever. <laughs> no, yeah. The accent is just, you know, being young, I lose, I, I lose it. And I I lost it probably when I was 12 and a half or 13. And, you know, I can I can still do my Australian accent, but people over here, um, I guess I just talk in whatever I've been accustomed to. But, I mean, every now and then it still comes out, and people definitely point that out to me. But, uh, well, obviously, you- still being Australian, got to be cool, Carl. Well, you're doing Australia proud, Carl, and uh, thank you very much for giving us your time on Inside the Ropes. Thank you. Well, big thanks to Martin Blake there, catching up with Carl Phillips, one of our brightest young prospects. And just a footnote to that interview, Andy. It was recorded before he went out to the US Amateur qualifying in Dallas uh, in the middle of the week. And pleased to report that Carl has uh, made the big field for the US Amateur Championship, dominated again at the Dallas qualifiers. On fire, 15 years old. I know that uh, Blakey iterated that there, but he's pantsing a couple of very much senior players to himself, and uh, he's got himself into the big one here. We can talk about junior tournaments that no one knows about previously, but he's stepping up into the really big echelon here with the Southern Amateur and now the US Amateur. So it's a great fillet for uh, the young Victorian. Tremendous. Hazy and Clates, I reckon I I heard about Carl Villops 10 years ago. Is 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 that my brain... Sort of playing tricks with me. Was no, he I, on the radar as a five or six year old? Blakey and I might have had a race to see who was the first one to get sucked right. into producing a cute video for the Age or the Herald Sun at the time. We went down and and, and uh, you know did stories with a guy who was six or seven years old winning Toyota World Junior Championships for whatever that's worth. Uh, you know, and it's debatable, but. You know, by the same token, Tiger's got his name on a few of those trophies. So, you know, he's been on the radar for a long time. You can hear by his voice there that, um, you know, he's he's 
living in the States as a young fella. He's, he's, he's adapted a whole heap of mannerisms that are American, are perceived as American, but he's passionately Australian. He still call, calls himself Koala Carl. Um, wants to, he's involved at the Golf Australia National Camp in Houston this week. Yep. Uh, he popped in there between his victory and his qualification. Um, we're very excited about him. He's, um, you know, he's come a long way in the last little while. And he's seen Cameron McCormick, I think, going back to McCormick. So yeah, you seen him play? I've played with him. Yeah, he's okay. good. Yeah. yeah, he's good. He's like, really good. like genuinely good. Like you know, yeah, good. Yeah, good. I, mean, I played with him. We played a couple of years ago when he was a little kid. He couldn't hit the ball anywhere. <clears throat> and he, now, I saw him play this year, and we played, we played a couple of holes at Spring Valley, and I mean, he crushes it. Yeah, right. Like everyone else does, but yeah. I mean, he flies it three hundred yards in the air, and he's yeah, he's he's, he's, he's six foot. Like when when we first met him, he was um, you know. 25 kilos ring and wet. He's six foot one. I reckon, you know, he, we have a good build for a footballer if he wanted to take it that way. Mm. He murders the ball. He, yeah. Like he hits it the distance of someone three or four years his senior, which at 15 is a big accomplishment. So it's going to be the classic how it plays out. There's this kid who, with his dad, who's really just traveled the world and played golf. And how it all ends is going to be interesting. Is yeah, he turning yeah. into Tiger Woods or is he turning into a. Who knows? Yeah, well, I mean, that's, I mean hopefully you know, he's being well, yeah. man, well managed yeah. and well taught and all that sort Which of stuff. Which is the trap. Yeah. The trap is to avoid the the burn atomic. I hate the game. Spot on. Andre Agassi. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a long hard road, and you can you can get to twenty and be worn out with the whole thing. Well, let's because he's played yeah. he's played golf basically full time for eight or ten years, I think. So he's well, actually committed to Stanford, Andy. Okay, uh, right from, on, yeah. from the twenty twenty US college year. I'm not sure if that means. 1920 or 2021 when he starts but he's committed to Stanford and it's amazing to think 2020 because it seems such a long way away but he's 15 he's 15 but he's in a prep school in uh, Florida um, we won't see him back here on a you know any permanent sort of time frame for quite a number of years but uh, let's hope he remains in golf and proudly Australian well can I say one thing on that and we do have an association with Golf Australia obviously through this podcast but um and you two know the people involved much better than me, but I, I feel real confident, like real confidence that if he does need to be guided, you know, um, carefully and managed well through this, you know, these formative years of his emerging career, there's a lot of good people at Golf Australia who will understand his age, immaturity, the golf swing, the pressures. So if he seeks the right counsel from people, you know, close to the national body, then he'll get he'll get good advice. I'm well, and I think I mean Cameron McCormick grew up with Jordan Spieth when he was twelve years old. So okay, right, yeah. he couldn't get a better teacher no. than that. Who teaches Austin Connolly? Who was that? The Canadian Texan-based Canadian kid who looks like he stepped really well at Berkeley. He stepped out of the crowd. Yeah, his pants were too big and his hair was. I'd say skate skate park. It's unbelievable. It was extraordinary. Just loose too, like yeah. no stress at all yeah. in his golf swing at he, all. He did, he did amazingly well. He did. Uh, other bits and pieces before we wrap it up. Some really bad news in the world of golf this week. Grayson Murray won on the PGA Tour. Now I say that with tongue firmly planted in check. Uh, it's an unbelievable achievement and well done to him over at Barbasol. Uh, we were barracking for Cam Percy, obviously going to the final round, uh, who had a terrible start but pulled it all together towards the end and had another great week. But Grayson Murray, to his credit, won on the PGA Tour. You, are you going to say it or am I going to say it? The irony being, he won in America while all the other best players were playing in Europe. There you go. There you go. Cop that, Grayson. Yeah, there you go. But anyway, no. No, well done. Fair, you, 
Chad Collins doesn't win and shoots 60 in the second round. Now, I know that's not just because you shoot 60 doesn't mean you're going to win a tournament, but shoot 60 and don't win a tournament. Um, I reckon Johnny Vegas did that in the same tournament last year from memory. I reckon he might have Bad's, been... Bad's won a yeah, last year. Bad's, Bad's won last Bad's year. Ran yeah. him, Bad's ran him down. I reckon you're he right, a, actually, yeah. yeah. I think it was a 60 or a 61 maybe at the same tournament. So it's out there on that course, but means that you know, you're going to have to shoot a ridiculously low number to win. So Camp Percy... Uh, Shoots four rounds in the 60s, finishes tied 12th. He moves from 135 to 132 on the FedEx Cup standings. He was on with the boys on RSN this week. We should actually put a bit of it in. When he got onto the 18th green, uh, the scores are scrolling around on the on-course monitors. And this is how Cam Percy uh, related that uh, that story to the boys on Brecky during the week. The scoreboard's there telling you projected FedEx Cup points so you can see, your caddy can see it. (laughs) And I, I wanted to hit a wedge, and my caddy was like, oh, I think it's a perfect nine-iron, but I had the adrenaline going and this and that, and I tried to hit a nine. I, I just took, I took it a bit too easy and blocked it like a, a yard right, chipped down to five feet and missed it, and I went from 127 to 137 oh. with that putt, and you just feel sick, you know. <laughs> you, you just walk into the scores, had all these kids, can I get autographs? No, you can't. <laughs> that, is, that wasn't around in your day, Clates, those sorts no. of live screens with live scoring and all that sort of stuff. You kind of knew. That's Everyone knew. Right. Yeah, kind of had a sense of it. That's pretty disconcerting. I mean, this is this guy. He's playing for a, he's playing for a job, you know, and he's getting closer by the week. He's obviously in pretty good nick at the moment, Cam, and good man, and we're all barracking for him, even though he's a Collingwood supporter. But um, <laughs> that is that's that's just another five percent of pressure. You probably don't need to you, when you're standing no. over a putt. And there, those boards are big, and invariably it's dark as you're coming it's... on, and they sort of glow across the 18th green. It's a nightmare. Uh, Brett Drewitt shoots 62 in the final round of that tournament, which is um, terrific for him in terms of where he's at and what he's trying to do. Um, other bits and pieces, Steve, not a great week on the web.com. Stevie Allen uh, tied 31 at Indy Creek was the best of the Aussies. Wendy Dawler, we only had two players teed up in the LPGA. Uh, this week in Kyung Kim beats Lexi Thompson by four. The Korean dominance on the women's tour continues. Wendy Dolan was the only Australian who made the cut. Only two, I think, played. Sarah Kemp was the other. Uh, good to see the veteran can still make a cut over there on the LPGA Tour. And Hannah Green, just to make it 10 yeah, out of Hannah 10. Green, yep. um, Remarkable. She, unbelievable performance again. So Nana Madsen, who was second in the ISPS Hand of Women's Australian Open, gets a battlefield promotion, so plaudits to her. But that leaves the door open even further, I reckon, because she's obviously going to go up and play LPGA now. And Hannah Green's ranked fifth on the race to get her card next year. Top 10 will do that. But she just puts her name there every week. It's phenomenal. And, you know, full credit to Steph Nah and also to Jade Panos for banking little checks there yeah. as well. Shoot 64 in the final round. Just yeah, she plow her way through the field. She thinks she needs another 20,000, but that sounded pessimistic to me. I wouldn't have thought she needed that much. But, I mean, she should... And the way she's playing, she'll make that easily. But you know, it's um. I think she's twenty. She's played really well. This she's year. already twenty grand clear of the eleventh uh, place play, player, yeah. and yeah. Uh, you could you could win and not bank much more than that. So I think you know it's hard to see players yeah. six, seven, eight, nine, and yeah. ten doing something that, at the same time. No, she's a good player. She's really good, really yeah. solid player. Uh, anything else before we wrap it up? I just, you just in addition to those amateurs with uh, Carl Phillips, we've a whole heap of guys have qualified for the uh, the USAM. So big congrats to Blake Collier, Dylan Perry, and Kieran Day, one who we had on the West Australian program yeah. a few weeks ago, did really well. They've all um, added to the um, previous list of qualifiers, so we're going to have a really big compliment at the USAM. Have you heard what they want to do there? They're thinking about 
playing the eight, the famous 18th at Riviera where Allenby hit driver Threewood in the playoff to win in 2000 and whenever it was, 2000, I think. They're, they're talking about it during one of the rounds, playing it as a short par four. Like, Why? Well, a yeah, very good question. I mean, it's one of the great long par fours in America. And if you go to the top of the hill and make it 300 yards, it's just a... It's just not that interesting a short Nondes- par four. Nondescript. And, and, so they want and, two drivable par fours on the well, course, do they? I was going to say, 50 yards away is arguably the greatest short par four in golf. Certainly yeah. one of them. And they, uh, It's just, what are they doing? Oh, well, I mean, Curtis Strange is going nuts on Twitter, <laughs> as well, he should. Well, it won't happen then. Um, it's always fun, boys. Clates, great to have you in again. And um, it looks like we're going to be able to do it for a whole lot longer, which is a great thing. Yeah, um, yeah. we're pretty excited about that, Andy. Yeah. It's... Uh, We've had great feedback, continue to get it, and we love everyone being involved, getting involved with us on social media as well. So um, thanks, everyone. Good to see you again too, Hazy, you too, on another Andy. big week in the world of golf. Thanks for tuning in, folks. This has been Inside the Ropes. We'll see you next week.